Tonight, tonight. Why not? He'll make you think. I think I'm going to break protocol here, though. He'll make you laugh. Is it conceited of me? Because, I mean, I'm puffing my chest out a little bit. And he lives for a take that'll make you do both. He says things I can't say. Nothing tops overtime, whether it's on the field or on the air. People don't forget. It's time for Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. Tonight, it's actually overtime with Spencer German. JP was working the uh, the morning shift. He was in with Ken this morning. So here I am, ready to spend the next four hours with you, 8 to midnight on the fan. we got a great show planned. We'll check in with our good friend Chris Easterling from the Akron Beacon Journal. But first and foremost, guys, I have to just, uh, I have to laugh a little bit. I, ha- I, 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 I can't help. But laugh just a little bit when I kind of tell you about my last 24 hours. Because I'm, I'm setting this up like it's some grandiose story. It's really not that, that crazy of a story, but it's just about where I was going, what I was doing, and what I listened to on the way there. And what I heard. So uh, for my daytime job, we had an event in the fine city of Pittsburgh I know that's maybe a controversial to say in this town. Guys, I don't, Pittsburgh as a city, great city if you ask me. I mean, picturesque skyline. We had a front row seat to it at sunset because of where this event was. We were at the Carnegie Science Center. So right across the street from, uh, I almost said Heinz Field. It's not Heinz Field anymore. Acperture, what is it? Acrosure. Acrosure. I never get it. I get why they just call it Heinz Field, man. That's, that's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. Um, right across the street from the Steelers Stadium. And like I said, you look out the window on the third floor of that building and you get a gorgeous view of downtown Pittsburgh at sunset. It was great. The event went well. We were connected with some uh, alumni in the area from a certain school that I went to and worked for. And... You know, I, I I think I tweeted out a funny picture. I, I, I sent a picture of the stadium and I said, this is where the Browns be 2-0 and in four days, trying to get you guys revved up for this game. But what was the most enjoyable part for me was I knew I was making this trip to Pittsburgh. I, I, we were headed out there in the early afternoon, and I knew what time our friends at 93.7 The Fan were going to be jumping on to start their show. Pony and Mueller. Over at 93.7 The Fan. And I threw him on in the car on the way over there. And the gist of the conversations that I heard, because I wasn't in the car, I wasn't able to listen to the entire show because part of their show was going on while we, after we had arrived at the venue or getting set up and getting ready for this event that we were doing. But the gist of the conversation that I heard had me chuckling to myself because it was... The exact conversation that we in Cleveland have had to have time and time again, season after season, wondering about the future of this team and talking about coaches. They are already going into week two of the season, having the conversation that we feared we were going to be having going into the first few weeks of the season about whether or not their head coach will be here beyond XYZ week or beyond this this season entirely, and if you're looking for a new head coach, 
come January and February, oh my, how the tables have turned. And look, I get it. Week one of the season, ripe for overreaction. We love week one of the season to be the thing that we base. We whatever we see in week one, we love to make assumptions. Uh, it, like nope, there's no there's no gray area. We just go black and white. This is true and that is true. For example, Aaron Rodgers ruptures his Achilles. All of us went straight to the jet season. Done. No chance. They're not making the playoffs. But you keep in mind that last year with garbage quarterback play. They stayed afloat and we're in the playoff conversation till late in the year. So I'm not writing them off. I'm writing them off, but let me, let me be clear. I'm writing off the jets, but I, uh, it's one of those, like they're in the back of my mind. They're on the back burner. If they they make some noise, they stay in this thing. They surprise every, they surprise the bills on Monday night last week. Then, okay, I'll start to pay attention again. But right now I'm writing them off. Yes. So listen, I'm, I'm susceptible to overreaction just like many of you. From that same exact game, everybody's saying the Bills are toast. They had this whole incident this week where the uh, the Bills team reporter was talking, saying some things about Stephon Diggs, disparaging his character a little bit, and people are saying that the Bills is just, the, the entire franchise is just unraveling before our eyes and their windows closed. We love to make assumptions after Week One. Here in Cleveland, we're saying Super, we're yelling Super Bowl, Super Browns, and we think that that's the the, the path that they're on. JP argued that on this very show a couple of nights ago, saying we need to raise our expectations. And I don't this this is not the take shots at JP because he's not here show. I actually don't mind JP or others raising their expectations and saying this team could be a Super Bowl team because, frankly, even without looking at what they did in Week One, on paper, yeah, this team should probably be in that conversation. I'm not to, to JP's point. I'm not saying they're going to win it. But should they be in that conversation based on the roster construction and all these different things? Yes, absolutely they should. But we love to overreact to week one. And we love to make assumptions about teams in week one. And our assumption about the Browns after week one is this is finally it. They finally got this thing figured out. The defense is finally rolling. Under Jim Schwartz, he's the right man for the job, pulling the strings on that side of the ball. And Deshaun Watson, while he looked not great in that first game, we think he's just going to continue to get better and ascend and become worth the money in the draft picks that he netted when you made this deal, right? On the flip side of the matchup coming up on Monday, it sure sounds like Steelers fans well, I'll be clear. There was some talk that the one thing I keep hearing continually from Steelers fans is that this is the get-right game. Yes, they got blown out against the 49ers. Yeah, but it's the 49ers. They were just in the NFC Championship game a year ago. It's Kyle Shanahan. He's a genius. This team is going to figure it out against the Browns because they always figure it out against the Browns. So on one hand, they're taking you kind of lightly. But on the other hand, they are living in their fears if they're already having conversations about whether or not this season could go south based off of this game. Like, you start the season 0-2, that conversation, you pour gasoline on the, is this the end for Mike Tomlin, or at least Matt Canada, who I don't know why they brought him back in the first place. Nobody in Pittsburgh seems to be on, on the Matt Canada fan, uh, a member of the Matt Canada fan club, but here he is still running the Steelers' offense with Kenny Pickett, small Mr. Small Hands himself. 
I don't know. But they are truly three days away now from the sky is falling in Pittsburgh. The Browns have finally overtaken us. They, we are no longer the big brother in this, this rivalry, in this conversation, in this matchup. And I think they're scared to death about it. Guys, they are already having conversations about moving on from their head coach. And if this season doesn't pan out, if it's the end for him, mind you, we were having that conversation about a coach in Kevin Stefanski who he had achieved the most that a Browns coach had achieved in 20 years. But it's not like Kevin Stefanski has proven much of anything in his first three years now as three years plus a game of as a head coach here in Cleveland. And we have plenty of questions. Mike Tomlin is a Super Bowl winning coach, an established tradition. He is an institution in the NFL and with that franchise. You're already having conversations about if they lose this game on Monday. Is it the end of his tenure with the Pittsburgh Steelers? Is it rebuild mode? What happens with Kenny Pickett? Is he really the future or not? They're already there. And the Browns have a chance to make them realize those fears on Monday night. And I'm just going to say, guys, I'm feeling really good about this game on Monday. I'm guaranteeing a win. I'm guaranteeing you a win. I know my track record with this type of stuff when it comes to Cavs did not go well. But I feel so good about Monday night. I'm sitting here before the show, getting ready, going back and watching some of the tape from the Steelers 49ers game. And, guys, I'm seeing an offensive line that's getting manhandled. The Browns' defensive line just manhandled the Bengals. Joe Burrow was Sam Darnold seeing ghosts out there. He didn't know what direction Miles Garrett was coming from. Was he going to blitz up the middle? Was he going to blitz off the right? Was he going to blitz off the left? And we think that the Steelers' offensive line is going to be able to handle that after they just got demolished by the 49ers? Five sacks they gave up. And then on the flip side of that, if you want to argue, okay, but you got T.J. Watt going up against a rookie and and whatever else, the other thing I noticed on the tape, it was a lot. And T.J. Watt had a great game. I'm, I'm not listen. T.J. Watt, a lot of respect for that man. One of the best players in football. I I respect him. I love his game. I like watching him play football. Just from a pure football fan standpoint, he's great. One thing I noticed though. A lot of one-on-one situations for him. I'm going to guess the Browns aren't going to set Dewan Jones up for failure by putting him in a lot of one-on-ones against T.J. Watt. I'm guessing there's going to be some double teams, some chips in there, and they're going to make his life a little bit easier. He's still going to have some opportunities where he has to do things on his own, but you also got a mobile quarterback in Deshaun Watson. We saw what they could do with his legs. And listen, if T.J. Watt does wreck the game, I have faith that the, that the Browns, based on what we saw in week one, will pivot and do what they need to win that game. Maybe that's something we haven't seen from Kevin Stefanski in the past, but we saw week one, which I'll get to coming up here momentarily as well. But I have faith that they can do that. I don't have faith the Steelers can. Their run game was atrocious against the 49ers, and the Browns boast a great defensive line, as I said, as well. They were beginning outgained at one point, 199-1 to on the yardage count. Starting the third quarter, like that's bad. And you throw in the fact that there's no Cam Hayward. Great. Feast Nick Chubb. 
and no Deontay Johnson on the offensive side of the of the ball. Great. This secondary was phenomenal against two of the best receivers in football on the Bengals. I think they can shut down George Pickens and company. I feel so good about this, guys. I know it's the Steelers, and the only thing making me have reservations is the fact that Mike Tomlin is there. But I'm telling you, it's going to be a win on Monday night, and it's going to be a chance to flip the script on the Steelers and make them have the convert, the awkward and and just sky-is-falling conversations that we've had to have for so many years here on Cleveland Sports Radio and amongst ourselves as Cleveland sports fans. That's going to feel so, so good. 216-474-0092. I want you to read on this game on Monday. I feel super confident in it. Browns are going to be 2-0 for the first time since 1993. I'm saying it here on Friday with you three games out. I would have said it earlier in the week if I had hosted earlier in the week. That's how good I feel after that game uh, last weekend and how bad I thought the Steelers looked. And maybe I'm overreacting, but I just think you put it, you add it all together, the Browns should definitely win this game. 216-474-0092 on Twitter, at Spencito. There's an underscore at the end of it. We got more Browns to get to coming up here on The Fan. Welcome back in on a hot take Friday. That's right. When I'm here filling in for JP or otherwise, we do hot take Friday. It's pretty simple. You call in, you give me your hot takes on food, movies, books, uh, obviously sports is fair game. The only thing I don't want is political conspiracy theories. I don't need you to explain to me why there's some secret underground cult of politicians who are plotting against. I'm good. I get enough of that anyway on social media, on Facebook, from relatives of mine. I don't need to see it from you. I don't need to hear from you guys. But we'll do that at 940. I got a couple spicy ones, I think, for you. Jake always has spicy ones, so I'm sure he's going to bring the heat. Although, last time Jake was on with me doing Hot Take Friday, he told me that he was out of his spicy food takes. have Have you sort of... Dug deep and found any other ones, Jake? Are you really racking your brain tonight for some food takes? Yeah, so last time I said that, and then last time I came up with a popcorn one last minute, and that was a good hot take. This time, I think I'm in the same boat. I don't really have any off the top of my head, okay. but I have a couple hours to think about it. Okay. Well, yeah, we, we'll have like an hour and 20 minutes to see if Jake can dig up a uh, a food take. Even if it's not a food take, I'm sure Jake's going to bring the heat. We, I love actually doing this thing with Jake because... Generally, you said something that I find absolutely preposterous, so it should be fun. Uh, James will have some, I'm sure. He's he's rocking the uh, Syracuse Mellow jersey, which I can appreciate as a Western New Yorker. And my sister went to Syracuse, so grew up watching them a lot. Um, if he's wearing orange, then obviously he's bringing the heat, I think, right? Always, baby. You heard that music? We, 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 it's a whole <laughs> different vibe tonight. 216-474-0092. How are you feeling about Monday's Browns-Steelers matchup? Because, guys, I get it. It's the Steelers. They've had our number for for so many years now. Last time the, the Browns won the division was in the 80s. It's been some time, man. Last time they finished out of the Steelers was that same time, in 89, right? We know this. It's common knowledge at this point because we hear it regurgitated over and over again. This is the year that changes, and it starts on Monday night with a win. And the, uh, just the role reversal that can happen here. 
based on what I was already hearing them talk about on Pittsburgh radio yesterday, living in their fears of what does a loss to the Browns on Monday night mean for the season? Because we know teams that start 0-2, generally the, the odds of them making the playoff are slim. The Bengals did it last year, but the Bengals have one of the best quarterbacks in football. Hands down. They can dig themselves out of a hole like that. I don't feel that way about Kenny Pickett. <laughs> Kenny Pickett ain't digging him out of an 0-2 hole in a division that the prognosticators and the talking heads out there all said every team was going to finish with a, with a potentially above 500 record. I guess you can't finish with a 500 record anymore, but you get the idea. They were all going to finish with at least nine wins is what everybody was saying before the season started. Do I think Kenny Pickett's digging his team out of an 0-2 hole? Granted, only one against a division opponent? I don't think so. That'll be it. Write them off. And they'll be having the conversations that we were worried about having to have this year if the Browns get off to a slow start and that we have had for the last 20-plus years where it's, is this coach the one? Do we need to find a new coach? Do we need to fire the front office? Do we need to start over? Do we need to rebuild? Is this quarterback the right quarterback? Do we have a quarterback? Do we need to draft another quarterback? Who's our quarterback? That's going to be Pittsburgh. The role reversal is nothing but funny to me. When we spent years living in that team's shadow as the little brother in the in the conversation in the the rivalry that we like to spite that has so much spice to it, which by the way, I got a hot take on the on the rivalry, by the way. We'll get to that again on Hot Take Friday at nine forty. So stay tuned. But again, all that can be reversed. This is this is what we dreamed of. All those years the Steelers just owning the Browns. This is what we dreamed of happening one day is that the shoe would be on the other foot and we would be past them and we would run the division. And even if we aren't running the division, we're at least beating up on them and returning the favor for all those years. With Kenny Pickett under center, with an offensive line that looked terrible in week one that I think is going to get abused again this week by a great Browns defensive line uh, with a, a run game that's non-existent. A defensive line that's missing a key figure. Yes, T.J. Watt's still there, but you take care of him. And I get it, Alonzo Highsmith, he's had, he's pretty good himself. But I'm not as worried about that defensive line, especially when it comes to stopping the run. I mean, listen, if the pass game isn't working because T.J. Watt's a game wrecker and he, he can ruin all that for you, fine. Give the ball to Nick Chubb. Run it right down their throats. Run it right down their gullets because Cam Hayward ain't going to be there. I feel so good about this game. And again, I don't want it to just be overreaction to week one, but the Steelers looked overmatched. The Browns defense in particular looked phenomenal. And I don't see that changing for a banged up Steelers team that has offensive line issues and a quarterback that struggled mightily. And that I still don't think it, despite what people said all off season, trying to get everybody to drink the Kool-Aid that I ain't buying into being some franchise savior heir apparent to Ben Roethlisberger. 216. 474-0092. I am vibing about this game on Monday. 2-0 for the first time since 1993. You heard it here first. Let's go to Lance in Painesville. Lance, what's up, my man? Hey, what's going on, Sam? You, you, you drinking into the Kool-Aid way too much. I mean, first, you even said yourself, you're not sold on on Sean Watson. And, and, and you got T.J. Watson with three sacks. Last week, and and bet the coach who's got the better coach is not even a, a question. 
Mike Tomlin is definitely a better coach than Kevin Sabansky. And and even though Cleveland does have more talent, I'll give you that. Cleveland have way more talent on offense, maybe even defense too. But as far as being coached, as the tradition, this first playing at home, you think they're going to let Cleveland come into Pittsburgh and whoop their butts just like San Francisco whooped their butts last week? That's not going to happen, Spin. They may not whoop their butts, Lance. They they may be a closer game than it may be sounded. And, I, and I'm willing to concede that. Like, it may be like a one-score game. It's not going to be 30-7. to seven. I don't see that happening. It's, it's, it's AFC. Cleveland's not going to win, period. Wow. You're ruling them out already just because it's Pittsburgh? The, the, the one thing I'll say, Lance, and you bring up a good point, like, I'll give the nod to Mike Tomlin on the coaching front. And that's the one thing that that scares me because Mike Tomlin's an excellent coach, and he's his teams are rarely going to be out of a game or rarely out of the season. They're always going to fight for him. He always seems to get the most out of them. So, yeah, like, that, that worries me a little bit. But then I look at the roster. Then I look at the rosters, Lance, and I, I look at what's going to happen on the field, what we saw in week one, and I'm like, I just don't see a path for the Steelers to win unless Deshaun is as bad as he was and somehow the Steelers' offense figures it out. But that's the thing, man. Like, I was worried about last week when they were kind of letting the Bengals hang around, right? Like, they were kind of hanging around. You were like, well, yeah. at some point, Joe Burrow's going to figure it out. I'm not worried about that with Kenny Pickett. That's the difference. High expecta- expectations. Anytime the Browns have high expectations, that's the move of disaster. 2007, Cleveland had high expectations. The year after Cleveland beat Pittsburgh, in the playoffs and in Pittsburgh, was that 2020? Uh, yeah, 2020. High expectations. Anytime the Browns have high expectations, the season will fall through. They, they can't handle high expectations. This year, you guys have high expectations. And you know what happens when you guys have high expectations? The, the, the basement falls through. Are you, Lance? It sounds like are you a Steelers fan, Lance? I'm not. I'm, I'm pretty fifth on that. <laughs> <laughs> I got you caught up a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you asking me two questions? Stop that! Stop that! Stop that! Stop that! I'm just. Well, this is a football conversation, not uh, a political. You said political, and football is political, and you know that. All right, I'll let you play it down the line on this one, Lance. This this time, I'll let you get away with it. But hey, I appreciate the call, and I and listen, I I can I can understand where you're coming from with the Browns having expectations, and a lot of times they fall flat on their face. That is definitely true of the course of history. I just think this year's different, but we'll see Monday night for sure. Okay, thank you, brother. Yep, appreciate you, Lance. Good stuff. I I caught him. I caught. I, I noticed he kept saying you guys and and you and and I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's funny because you always assume like you get somebody calling from Cleveland, they say Painesville, you're like, oh, they're they're a Cleveland fan, and then you forget how bad the Browns have been. And we talk about all the time how there's like this lost generation of Browns fans, and some of them went to the Steelers because it was the next closest team, unfortunately. So that that was good. That was funny. I you got it. him. Great question. Great question. <laughs> Should have been a lawyer. Uh, I love Lance, though. That was good. You can call back any time, Lance, Steelers fan or not, I promise you. 216-474-0092. Let's go to Tyler and Rocky River. What's up, Tyler? All right. So, perfect timing with hearing the Steelers fan. I hope he's still listening. 
and it's not a hot take. I would say it's the perfect temperature. It's medium rare. It's looking juicy. The Browns are going to walk in there. It's going to be the 49ers game all over again. If the Steelers, all they're going to, they might get one more touchdown, maybe a field goal more. It's going to be atrocious. I, I think uh, T.J. Watt is going to have a good game. But it, it, what are you going to do with the rest of your D-line? Our offensive line is going to push them around. It's the battle of trenches is going to go all Cleveland's way, and it's going to be a great game. And I, you know what, I can't wait. I can't wait to be in that stadium and waving my jersey around mm. and having all those booing fans yelling at me because they just lost to Cleveland Browns, and we're going to sweep them this year. And it's going to be that much sweeter. You're going to the game, Tyler? Oh, I'm going to the game. I, it, 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 I don't know if you'll be on after. If you want, I'll call. I'll let you hear all the boos I'll be getting. Hearing all the sorry Steelers fans finally realize the Browns are their old Browns, but not of the recent past, pre-99 Browns. I wish I was going to be on after so I could hear this all in full, but I do hope you enjoy the game. And listen, I I hope you're right. I hope the score you're throwing out there is right, but I'm with you that I feel pretty good about you and your buddies or whoever you're going to the game with driving home with smiles on your faces because it'll be after a Browns win. Oh, it's going to be a great game. 33 Thirty-three to ten, final score. Mm, wow! All right, Tyler, appreciate the call, man. Going bold. So that would mean in two weeks, the Steelers will have been outscored sixty-three to seventeen if that actually happens. And listen, I, Lance had a Lance had some very fair points on Tomlin on the Steelers always seem to play the Browns well. And this that's part of the conversation they were having on Pittsburgh Radio yesterday. It was like, oh, yeah, this is the get-right game because it's the Browns. and whatever. Yeah, I get it. That's usually true. Not this year. I, I, I just, This year is not the year for that to be the get-right game for you. This team is too good. The defense is too good. And like I said, yes, I normally will be worried. If, if Say the same sort of scenario plays out this week that played out last week at the Browns. You're letting them hang around. Deshaun's struggling a little bit. Throwing balls at the worms, and it's a three game. It's a three nothing game. It's a ten nothing game. I was worried this past week that it was all going to unravel because Joe Burrow would just click. Things would start working for him. Defensive line and that defense were so impressive. They didn't let that happen, thank God. But with this Pittsburgh team, even if the Browns are only up ten nothing, I feel like it's going to be in the bag. Because I just don't trust this offense that looked so bad in week one, couldn't run the football. We saw signs of that last year. Kenny Pickett under center, throwing more interceptions than touchdowns. Like, I don't have, without Deontay Johnson now, I don't have any faith that they're, like, I'm not scared of them the way I was scared of Joe Burrow and the offense that he boasts. That's that's what I'm trying to get at here. Let's squeeze in one more call here. Josh and Grand River, you're up next in the fan. What's up, Josh? What's up? So I agree with you that the quarterback controversy is now in Pittsburgh. And Kenny Pickett, no matter if he's wearing two gloves, four gloves, eight gloves, 12 gloves, he's not going to be able to get it done. <laughs> Can you imagine if he just had seven gloves on his hands? Oh, my God. Like how thick the uh, how thick this, his gloves would just be all on his hand at the same time. That would be an awesome sight. <laughs> I just had to throw in a little humor. I was It was there for the taking and had to, had to make way. All right, Josh. I appreciate the call, brother. Have a good one, man. You too. You too. Yeah. Listen, I I like that people are vibing with me. I feel supremely confident 
about Monday night. And I get it's the Steelers. I get we want to live in our fears. I get that there's history there, and you don't trust it, and you need to see it. We all started the season saying we need to see it. They showed us a little bit on, on, in week one, and I don't want to overreact to week one. But I'm taking the the – if it was just the Browns blew out the Bengals and the Steelers maybe got a win in week one, I wouldn't necessarily be saying what I'm saying. But I'm putting two and two together here. The Browns were great. Their defense looked dominant. They boat raced the Bengals, who are your reigning division champs and the creme, the creme de la creme of the division, apparently. And it, they pulled away late. And I don't fear the Steelers the way I fear them. And based on what we saw week one from the Steelers, I ain't afraid of that team. I certainly ain't afraid going in there Monday night. It's going to be a happy Monday. Speaking of the reasons why I'm so confident, Kevin Stefanski, is he getting enough credit? For how the Browns played on Sunday. Because of all the reasons why I was worried that this season could go south. He was at the top of the list. And I tell you, he's making me a believer. We'll do it next on 92 Through the Fan. It's always game day in Cleveland. Crew of Andy Baskin and Darrell Ryder are ready for Monday Night Football and beyond. Subscribe at 923thefan.com or the Odyssey app to get two fresh episodes every single week and each special post-game edition sponsored locally by Smiley One and Bryant, Northeast Ohio's premier heating and cooling solution. 216-474-92. Kevin Stefanski deserve uh, more praise than maybe he's gotten so far. Because I think when I'm looking back on week one, if there's one thing that I think is the most important takeaway from that week, I missed everything. I, you know, Miles Garrett practicing his crossover before bringing the heat on Joe Burrow. Uh, how well the defense played as a whole. Nick Chubb looking like Nick Chubb. Uh, Deshaun Watson figuring things out with his legs. The, the most important thing that I took away from week one was the actions of Kevin Stefanski. I'll get to that here in a second. We are going to have the fan focus, as always, at 9 o'clock, a 9 o'clock staple here on Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. That's coming up in about 10 minutes. Uh, we also have Chris Easterling set to join us later tonight. He's out watching some high school football. He'll be with us at 10.20. And we'll see. We'll start, we're trying to get to off the beaten path. We also have Hot Take Friday. The 9, 9 o'clock hours loaded. 9 o'clock hours loaded. Because we got the fan focus, then we got Hot Take Friday at 940. We'll have some Guardians reaction, which, by the way, guys, interesting interview with Zach Meisel talking with the guys on Afternoon Drive. And from somebody who has an affinity for a team that maybe Chris Antonetti would uh, consider leaving, I think he's better off in Cleveland. I'll explain why. That's all coming up later in the show. But right now... As we continue the Browns conversation, guys, I uh, again, I, I understand where as you get ready for the Steelers game in week two and we try to decipher what's legit, what we can take away from week one and what we can't. I can't get over the fact that the most important takeaway for me from this win over the Bengals in week one 
It wasn't how dominant the defense was. It wasn't how great Miles Garrett looked. It wasn't even that Deshaun is still doing, figuring some things out. Because I kind of expected that. I talked ad nauseum about the fact that I, I, I was going into the season sort of expecting he would need to shake off the rust a little bit more. And it wasn't just going to be a, you know, go out there and pat him on the butt and say good luck to you. Like, no, I I, I thought it was going to take some time still. And now it would be great if he sort of pops on Monday Night Football. We'll get we'll, we'll circle back to the Monday Night Football conversation a little bit later because, listen, like showing out on Monday Night Football, it would definitely put the Browns on the map. But we're not there yet. What I want to mention with Stefanski is that my biggest takeaway from week one of the season truly was the ability of Kevin Stefanski to adjust to the game flow and make the right smart calls, not overthink it, and be uh, be malleable is maybe the best way to put it, which is kind of the theme of Kevin Stefanski this entire offseason. But it's one thing to sit there and realize, you know what, my defensive coordinator just wasn't cutting it. I got to move on from him. We got to bring in a new coach and try this thing again. It's another thing to set up a playbook for the quarterback that you invested everything in, specifically from the franchise standpoint, the draft capital that it took to get him and build a playbook that is to his liking so that he can be the most successful version of himself. Yeah, like these are these are things that showed that he was willing to adjust, but that seemed like sort of common sense. If he hadn't fired Joe Woods and moved on, we'd probably be talking about Kevin Stefanski looking for a job in a couple weeks here, right? Like these are things he kind of had to do, or that makes sense for the, the, the situation that the team was currently in after last year and going into this year. So those are easy. It's another thing to, as a play caller, and we know Kevin Stefanski wants to call the place. He has said as much on this station. He also says that we make too much of a big deal out of who's calling the plays at times. And maybe he's right. But we know that he takes pride in that role. On some level, as mild-mannered as Kevin Stefanski is, there's ego involved with the fact that he believes he can call one hell of an offense and script this thing to being successful. We've seen glimpses of it throughout the last three years. I think we saw some glimpses of it on uh, on sun- this past Sunday, and we're going to continue to see glimpses of it, if not the full-fledged capacity of what they can, what, it, what this offense can be and do. And he believes that he's the right man to do it, and that it's 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 his role and his alone. I can respect him for that. You don't get to that level by not believing in yourself and realizing that you have a talent here on some sort of scheme or whatever it is that you do as a coach. Like, yeah, like, why not have confidence in yourself? So I I get it, but we've had conversations about whether or not it was time to give it up. We've had conversations about whether or not he needed to delegate those duties and just focus on game stuff. You know what I saw on Sunday? I saw a guy who proved, listen, I'm not as stubborn when it comes to this as maybe I seemed, and that is a welcome sight because – Again, so many times we saw him have his face in the analytics and 
I think those are important in football. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to poo-poo the, the analytics crowd out there or the analytics people out there. I, I understand how this stuff works, and I understand that it's important to the game flow and in certain instances. I'm not saying never go for it on fourth down or never go for the touchdown on the opening drive or never go for two. I'm just saying I think the last couple of years there were spots where I didn't see Kevin Stefanski understanding the flow of the game and where and picking his spots to where I need to go analytics here and I need to go feel here. And on Sunday I saw that. Felt out where he needed to kick the field goals. He didn't just keep pushing the ball down the field and saying, let's go for it every single time, like a drunken sailor taking his boat off into the into the deep, the, the, the storm, the storm uh, a storm on the sea and the wash of the waves. He was like, hey, I can guide this thing a little bit easier. We'll, we'll work around. When the offense wasn't clicking, when Deshaun was dirting a lot of balls, guess what? He found a different way to win in a game that was so important against a team that could have struck at any moment. And he was happy taking the points, and he was happy getting them however they came, and that included featuring the ground game of Nick Chubb and obviously Deshaun Watson. That was such a pleasant sight. He showed he can be flexible. He showed he can be malleable. He showed that he is willing to adjust his line of thinking and change his stripes a little bit, and that was so, so important to see. That's another reason why I have confidence against that with them going into Pittsburgh because I think the same thing could happen. If Deshaun Watson struggles – I saw it in week one, and I think we'll see it again. He will adjust to the game and find a way to get out with a victory, and that's what coaching's all about. 216-474-0092 if you want to jump in. Up next, we do the fan focus here on Overtime with Jonathan Peterson. We also got a hot take Friday coming up at the 9 o'clock hour, 940 to be exact, here on the fan.